Welcome back to another episode of the Scoop College Basketball Podcast presented by Hoop Scoop Media. And it has been a few weeks, unfortunately, since we have been able to podcast. Our schedules have not exactly lined up, but we are back. We missed the first round of the tournament, but there is still lots of good action in front of us. There are 16 teams remaining in the field. And how is your bracket doing so far, Dan? Well, when you ask me how my single bracket is doing, I have to say that all four of my brackets, in full disclosure, all four of them are not looking so hot. I was tempted to pick a possible Florida Atlantic over Purdue in the round of 32, but it turned out that I should have taken that even a step further. So I didn't even pull the trigger on FAU against Purdue in that projected matchup. And as it turns out, Purdue became the subject of uh, the biggest upset in the arguably the history of the tournament or of the sport. So we'll get into that, but suffice it to say that none of my brackets are uh, so sweet. Yeah. Well, well, my main bracket is at 96.8%, which is pretty, pretty solid. Um, I did pick FAU over Purdue, which definitely helped out that they did not have to play Purdue. So it was a little bit easier of a win, although that was still a very tough game versus Fairleigh Dickinson. And do you want to just get right into that? The Purdue versus Fairleigh Dickinson game. We can't because... bear the lead. We have to, we have to, we have to, we have to, we have to attack it right away. No, 100%. Yeah. I mean, we're already right there. So, I mean, I think we've been saying for the past few months that Purdue can have some troubles in the tournament because they are relying too much on Edie. And that that's what happened against Fairleigh Dickinson. Fairleigh Dickinson is a very well coached team. Well, their coach is no longer there, which we will discuss later in our coaching segment of this podcast because the coaching world has been blowing up recently. But regarding Fairleigh Dickinson, yeah, like Edie, Edie played good. He, I think he had like 21-17, so you couldn't really ask for him to do a ton more. Uh, Fairleigh Dickinson, they, they were doubling him off the ball. Like there's not much I could have done. And Fairleigh Dickinson was asking Purdue – other players to do something and like I don't know if you saw but like Mason Gillis had the ball like the three-point line he was just like standing there like he wasn't even attempting to shoot it and yeah Purdue just could not get anything going um so as a in a Purdue uh, perspective how do you like overlook how this season has gone like what do you take away from this season? It's hard to it's hard not to be a prisoner of the moment when it's such a big moment, such a big upset, because as you were talking about in giving an overview of that loss to Fairleigh Dickinson, there wasn't a boilermaker who was willing to take that decisive shot. It seemed like everybody started to get a little bit tense uh, when the pressure shifts to the favorite, especially when the pressure shifts to a one versus a 16. Now that we've seen it happen before, we know exactly how much of a meme it becomes when you do become that team to lose in that spot. And Purdue started to play not to lose, I felt. You know, Fairleigh Dickinson did a good job on defense, making it so that the, the onus was on Purdue to hit a jumper. They were daring Purdue to make a jumper, and it just did not go down because they were a little bit hesitant to attempt those shots. You know, Ed gets not taken away fully, but Ed was really had to work for the points that he did get, you know, to, to, hit, that, to hit that threshold. So I think, in general, Purdue has to say that despite the stellar regular season and the Big Ten championship, uh, in terms of being that top dog in the Big Ten in the regular season, how much did it amount to, right? Like, I mean, Matt Painter is now at three straight losses. And as I'm on the move here, I beg your pardon. 
I'm on the move here in Newark today, so I want to restate that. There was Matt Painter, who now has a great resume in general as Purdue's head coach, but has three straight losses to double-digit seeds in the NCAA tournament. I'm not sure how you get by that if you're Purdue. you got to start re-examining your identity as a program and start to really not overlook the regular season, but you're, you're going to be a team that keeps attracting talent. You're going to be able to get back to the spot. What are you going to do when the lights are back on and you're maybe not a one seed, but you're another favorite in the tournament early in, a, early in the bracket? What are you going to do when the, when the pressure turns on, when, when underdogs start hitting shots on you? Yeah, and I think we both agree that Painter is a pretty good coach. He definitely overachieves a lot, especially in the regular season with the talent he has. Like, this Purdue team was not even supposed to be that good. Like, they were maybe borderline top 25 going into the year. They they weren't ranked in the first poll. But at some point, you have to look at it that he does. he's done, like, nothing in the tournament recently. Obviously, you mentioned, like, the loss in North Texas two years ago, lost to St. Peter's in the Sweet 16 last year, and then this year, Fairleigh Dickinson. Um, how much do you think a tournament success really defines or, like, really matters? Like, I know a lot of people place a lot more emphasis on how coaches do in a tournament um, more than they should, um, and especially, like, coaching hires. I've seen a lot of hires made just because of, like, a few good games in a tournament. Not not saying that's what happened with uh, Iona and Tobin Anderson. That was 100% deserved. But how how much do you think uh, is that's reflected reflective of Painter that he's been really struggling in the tournament as of recently? Well, I think it's a reflection, a little bit of in-game management. Not that Painter is not a skilled coach and knows more basketball than I'll ever forget, right? I mean, Matt Painter is somebody who knows his basketball. So it's not to say that, but... When you have your guys in a tough spot against the underdog who's actually drew up a pretty good game plan against you to close that talent gap and that size gap in the case of FDU and Purdue, you're in a spot where as a head coach, you've got to demonstrate that you can make those in-game adjustments and you can really, more than anything, I think, on the mental side of the game, settle down your guys, remind them what got them to this point, remind them of the height, the advantages they do enjoy, not in a way to you know, chastise them for being in a tight game against the low seed, but to say, hey, this is March. You're playing against the best teams in the country, regardless of where they come from or what names across their chest. So Painter is, I think, increasingly going to be judged by NCAA tournament success or lack thereof in future years in light of this loss. I mean, this just increases the scrutiny. There's no question about it. And it's an interesting topic because we so often judge NBA players, for instance, by counting rings or how they do in the postseason. And that's kind of led to a basketball culture, at least at the pro level, where we're kind of discounting or overlooking at times the success that guys have in the regular season. I don't feel that they play in college as much. I mean, I think the college conference schedule has so much more meaning, and there's so many rivalries along the way, and you're, you are judged, I think, more in the collegiate game by your regular season. But for Painter, for somebody who's established that part, it's almost a matter of Aaron Rodgers in the NFL, right, to make another pro comparison. Rodgers really, I think, needs another deep postseason run with his possible future team with the Jets to really cement his legacy. So if we're talking about the legacy of Matt Painter, very similarly – it's one that's a bit of a mixed bag right now. I mean, a lot of coaches would trade places with him in a heartbeat, right? Like, he's been in these positions, but he's going to have to lead his team with all the resources they have at that program. He's going to have to lead them to a deeper run and really just kind of avenge some of these March demons. Yeah, it will be interesting to see how Purdue uh, moves going forward. Um, if Edie comes back or not, that, that will be an interesting decision. I'm not. I don't really have uh, an idea of what he would do right now. Obviously, he probably could get drafted. I'd assume, but 
at the same time, uh, he's not like a huge NBA prospect and could could benefit. Uh, I mean, I, he's never going to be an NBA prospect in uh, the sense he's going to be like a lottery pick or anything like that. But he, he could just uh, benefit with more NIL. Like, he, he wouldn't get a huge NBA contract. I know that's been a big talk about players getting more NIL from college, some, like, star players that don't translate up. But moving on, there were way more games in the tournament that happened in just Purdue. So while we're at it, let's stay in the southeast. No, that was, that was the east region with uh Purdue. Uh and then moving on uh within that region, the Memphis FAU game. That was one to watch. That was a an amazing game. Those teams are both way better than eight and nine seeds. I I don't like that the committee matched them up there. And I think both of those teams were probably the best. Arkansas was pretty good. And I mean obviously they're still alive, but besides that I think those are the two other best teams in the tournament to come out of eight and nine game eight and nine seed games. Um, yeah, that that was honestly, if if uh, you had a ticket for uh, that two game session, uh, the Purdue and then the FAU Memphis game, that would have been really something to watch. Um, and I think it also kind of proved that FAU is kind of good, like. I know a lot of people were kind of hesitant because they haven't played a ton of competition, even though they have beaten some good teams, but they have not played a ton of competition. Um, and yeah, that is, this just makes me more excited for if FAU can possibly run it back next year because they could bring everyone back except for Forrest. And it looks like Dusty May could be back as well. He obviously was not the one taking the Ole Miss job. So what, what were your thoughts about this game? Yeah, Florida Atlantic, I think in the end, we had kind of this idea in our heads about how much do we want to value FAU and College of Charleston coming out of the uh, Conference USA and Colonial Athletic, respectively, with over just over 30 wins. And Florida Atlantic, it didn't you alluded, you alluded to it. The Owls might not have had those regular season tests. Uh, Conference USA is going to get a lot better when, New Mexico State and Sam Houston arrive. I think they'll get that much better with that investment in basketball. Well, but, well um, actually, to interrupt you there, yeah. FAU will be in the AAC next year. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's a moot point. Yeah, the, thanks to that refresher there. That that FBS level realignment, I need to get a reminder on that. That's right. So they're going to leave that behind anyhow. They'll have a whole new tackle uh, in the AAC, whole new task ahead. But um, as far as this year went with uh, – my point about CUSA still stands, by the way. That's going to be a good – that's going to be a good conference. They'll survive. Uh, the big loss to FAU, but I, Florida Atlantic, I picked them to advance, uh, not by much. I, the game turned out that way. Memphis, I think, was one of the hotter teams to finish the regular season. Uh, but this was a game where I really just think it was unfortunate, like you said, not only that these two teams had to play each other because it felt like a Sweet 16 quality of game. At, at, mo at most, it could have been that. And then you think about it, it could have been a nice second-round game had the seeds been a little, a little bit different. But Memphis just finished the season so hot, and only one of them was able to advance, and then and the other, I think, unfortunate part of it was you had FAU having to play FDU, and you couldn't see two. And, you know, there was, it wasn't like there was room for both of them, unfortunately. And it's week sixteen. One of them had to go home, and it would have been nice, I think, for the sake of the majors to have a chance that each would move on uh, by some slim odds. So, it, it, when you come to the quality of basketball, though, Florida Atlantic is going to be one of the more fun teams I think to watch in the week sixteen because now it's house money, right, for the Owls. 
at this point. This is about as far as I think most people would have had. Uh, I'll check with you. I mean, I know Florida Atlantic may have been a little bit further in your bracket, but uh, this is a team that has been probably more talented at the top than Charleston all year. So I made the comparison in terms of 30 win total, but Florida Atlantic, its ceiling was always higher. And now we see them advance farther than the Cougars. Yeah. Yeah. I had been going to Sweet 16, but I, I think they could beat Tennessee. Like, I mean, looking at this region, I'm certainly not saying they're going to the final four, but like based on who's left, it would not be the craziest thing ever. But I still probably wouldn't pick them to beat Tennessee. But yeah, speaking about Tennessee, we'll just go right there because they played an amazing game versus Duke. And we've kind of been down on Tennessee over the past few months, but they kind of proved us wrong. No Ziggler, but they were able to get it done in the round of 32 versus Duke, who was, you mentioned how Memphis was playing so well. Duke was probably the hottest team in the country coming into the tournament. So that was a huge win for Tennessee. Does this change your outlook on how far you think they can go in a tournament? Already making to the Sweet 16, a favorable region ahead of them. Does this change uh, your viewpoint on Tennessee this season? It does. It does. I think I didn't appreciate enough the fact that, hey, defense in postseason tournaments across sports, defense travels. You know, defense will carry over really well. Uh, we have a strong one, and that's been not our knock. It's been the opposite of our knock on Tennessee. You know, it's been the offense that we've been worried about. And in reality, now you have a matchup. Now that the balls have found their way into the spot, the Sweet 16, you have a matchup that you think could be, um, if, if favorable is the wrong word, but, you know, you could have drawn a lot worse than FAU, you know, which is a team that hasn't seen you know a whole sec schedule the way tennessee has now if we're making that argument across the bracket we would have said that fdu has zero percent odds against a big 10 member like Purdue. so obviously that doesn't always hold water but i think in the end tennessee really showed us something i think back to the use that duke had all year you know and sometimes a young really young team despite how talented it is when you run to a defense of that quality in march it's one game you know it's not like an nba series of course you you have one shot to win and go home and I, I, it, the, the young team at Duke, it kind of reminds me of the youth in Purdue's backcourt, and there really wasn't a guy who stepped up for Purdue in that spot. And Duke, similarly, uh, I think, just in nature of how young a team it is, you, you see the struggles in a game when you run through that, that type of defense of Tennessee. So Tennessee versus Florida Atlantic will be a doozy. It'd be hard not to pull for the underdog in that one, as most folks do. But I think Tennessee, aside from that, deserves a ton of credit because we kind of kind of cast them aside a bit. You know, I even had Texas A&M going a bit further out of the SEC here in this bracket because I just kind of felt like Tennessee had been slept on a little more. Excuse me, Texas A&M had been slept on a little more than Tennessee. But Tennessee kind of reminded us, hey, defense, again, defense it will carry with you. You might not have the best shooting day every game as you progress the tournament, but defense day-to-day can be a bit more consistent. Yeah. Um, moving on in the East region, the Kentucky versus Kansas State game. That was a game. Marquise Noel was, he was having himself a game. He was connecting from deep, had some crazy passes. He was going like behind the back, between the legs, uh, lobbing up to Keontae, that sort of stuff. So this, this K-State team is, they are, they are good. And also Kentucky is not going to Sweet 16 again. I mean, the last time they went was before COVID. So it is not, I don't, I don't know. Do you, do you think this year is necessarily a failure for Kentucky? 
I think it is. It's hard to call it a failure because we've really been on a roller coaster ride with Kentucky this season, right? Like there was a time when we thought North Carolina had better odds getting into the bracket than Kentucky, or at least I did. I, I'm pretty sure I made that claim here on the pod. And then Kentucky finished the year in that really hot team conversation with a Memphis or with a Duke. And Kentucky, I think I've heard some folks going ahead and taking them saying, hey, forget the seed that they have because of the more rocky beginning and middle of the year. Forget the seed. This is a Kentucky team that could wind up in the Elite Eight or beyond. And I, so I, I don't know if I would call it a failure, right? Like I do think that it was a bit of a um, more difficult run than we've seen John Calipari have to make uh, within a season. Uh, but it'd be silly to rule out Kentucky for next year. I know that doesn't address the question of how you determine this year's success or lack thereof. I wouldn't give it an F, right? Like, I guess Kentucky fans have talked that fan base. Sure, those expectations are so high. But I, I just think that it, Kentucky finished on a high enough note that if there's any carryover of that roster, which is not always a sure thing in this day and age, um, but if there's carryover of that roster meaningfully with guys who had meaningful minutes, then I, I don't think it was a failure. I think if you build on it, then you can't call this year a failure, at least outright. Uh, but certainly it was not up to snuff with your classic expectation or the fan base's expectations of Kentucky. So that's my non-answer answer there. I, I just think a failure is a little extreme for them. But there was a time when we thought it might be heading in that direction, right? So credit to Calipari for not allowing that to happen. Yeah, I think if you just assess uh, the overall season without uh, taking into account what happened actually during the season – then I might consider it a failure just because they were projected to be like a top five team, ended up as a six seed, you got out in the round of 32. But if you just take into account how the season has actually gone, the ups and downs, I mean, it's it's still not ideal for a Kentucky team that expects to get to the final four like every year, which has not happened recently. But I think definitely they build some solid momentum towards the end of the season and it's definitely some stuff to build on. I think the Kentucky fans are kind of back on board with Calipari and they don't want him fired as much as they did when they were in danger of missing the tournament. But yeah, I, I think, uh, yeah, I think Kentucky is going to be fine moving forward. It seems like, uh, Cal kind of adjusted his team and they were playing, uh, pretty solid down the stretch except when they played Vanderbilt <laughs> they lost a few to them late but yeah and I, I think they played fine versus K-State too outside of Reeves who played a he was terrible he went I think he made like one shot at the end but he was like 0 for 14 or 0 for 16 or something like that it was shots were not falling for him but yeah this this game this game was a one yeah, like I said, one of the best games in the tournament. Kansas State, they were picked tenth in the Big Twelve. They are headed to the Sweet Sixteen with a matchup versus Michigan State to go to the Elite Eight, which is definitely a winnable matchup, but there's also the Izzo factor for Michigan State. So just moving to the Michigan State um matchup and Michigan Michigan State is the last Big Ten team left. That is crazy. That there's only one Big Ten team left, and it is Michigan State. Probably not who you think it would be before the tournament, no, if you right. But it, but the at the same time, yeah, it's Izzo. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Izzo's inevitability, right? The inevitable, the inevitability of Izzo in March. I thought Indiana, you know, with TJD, might likely outlast Party, but that didn't pan out. Um, one more thing about Kansas State to see Kansas State and Jerome Tang 
Hang trending with the, the locker room vibes and them jamming out to Lil Baby and stuff before games. Like, you can just picture it. That's a team that has momentum. You kind of carry that positive energy onto the floor. I, it, I know on the surface it's just, you know, a little online TikTok trend, but like, Kansas State, there's just good vibes around that program right now. Jerome Tang uh, continues to make a great name for himself. He has great, talented players to back it up. Uh, I, I could see Kansas State. I can picture it in my mind's, down, my mind's eye now, Austin. I can see Kansas State making a kind of a magical run to the Final Four. You see Lil Baby walking out of the locker room at the Final Four. Like, tell me you couldn't picture that happening, man. Lil Baby yeah, joining I Kansas mean. State at the Final Four. Like, hey, you come out of the Big 12, you're, you're already well battle-tested for what you're going to see uh, in terms of great team after great team as your free opposition in March. So Kansas State, that, that game against Kentucky was outstanding. But Michigan yeah. State... It's shaped up to be very similar because now Michigan State, Tyson Walker, I remember him and his mid-major days. He and those guys are going to really present a formidable test. Yes, he's been playing amazing lately, and they beat Marquette. So Marquette was, they had a great regular season, um, won the Big East tournament, Big East regular season, but they did not make it very far in March. Um, Shaka did have that final four run, but since then has really struggled to win in March. Um, so what's your like overall thoughts about this Marquette team? Yeah, it, it's it's hard to say. I mean, the Golden Eagles enjoyed such a heck of a, I, you don't call it Cinderella run within the Big East because it's a well-resourced program with a great head coach, but didn't really see this level of play coming from Marquette to close out uh, the prior games to the NCAA tournament. From there, I, I don't want to issue a free pass. Like, I, I do think it's a little bit alarming. Like, it would have been nice to get a Michigan State team out of the tournament on a year where it seemed like Michigan State wasn't exactly at its top. You know, it wasn't the most elite team we've seen from Sparty. Tyler Kolek, I've been riding with him all year. So that's another <laughs> that's another disappointing factor. You don't get to see the continuation of his season. Uh, so I think it was more successful than Kentucky's season in terms of you know, proportions to expectations. Like I would say Kentucky, we had the discussion a bit earlier. Kentucky exists closer to the failure side of the spectrum than Marquette did. Uh, but Marquette was a trendy pick, you know, maybe among those two seeds to find a way to be a bit of a spoiler into the final four. So this was far from that. But when you're, when you're not playing series, again, March Madness, the beauty of it, when you're not playing full series, you're not getting games at home and games at an road site, and it's all just comes down to 40 minutes, you can get some really talented teams who are left at home uh, prior to the second weekend and Michigan state, I give them, I tip my cap to them because I did not, I did not forecast that one. Yeah. Certainly not a disappointing season for Marquez. They were projected to finish ninth in the big East ended up finishing higher than that in the country. But at the same time, it's kind of a disappointing March madness because they had so much momentum rolling into the tournament, then ended with a round of 32 exit. But I have a feeling that when the preseason rankings start to come out, Marquette will be number one. They can run it all back next year. I'm not sure if anyone will leave. Maybe pro. Um, Omax is definitely a guy that I could see going pro, but he's not like a lottery pick type of guy, so he could come back as well. And this team can run it back for two more years. Like They could bring everyone back this year or next year and next year after that. Probably not likely that it'll actually happen, but yeah, it's, I all, mean, it's all hypothetical, right? It would, it, in a perfect world, right? For Shaka, that would go down, but yeah, I mean, the I don't look, look good. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I don't see Kola going anywhere. I'd assume he'd stay right. his five years, and he's the most important player on this team. Um, yeah, I mean, he's an All American, 
point guards. So, uh, yeah, this Marquette team, even though it was disappointing this year, hopefully next year they will be able to prove that Shaka can win again in March because they will be good next year. Yeah, and, and Marquette, no, there's no question. And with Marquette this season, you almost wonder – I mean, I'm, I'm kind of thinking aloud here. They kind of fell victim to probability a little bit, right? Like, what were the odds that you weren't going to see? I know that we had the recent retirements, of course, Krzyzewski and Roy Williams and Jim Beheim. now. Like, when's the last time Izzo and Coach K and Roy Williams, like, none of them were in the Sweet 16? Like, it has to be many moons ago since that last happened. It, it's like I said, it's so – these legendary coaches, at least one of them, as, as they stick around in the game, those who are remaining, at least one of them is going to find a way into the Sweet 16 and – Sometimes there are really great teams in their path who get knocked off along the way. But hey, we, we're going to talk about the coaching carousel later. Um, with the movement of talent, like year to year, so often the talent's changing hands. The coaching, I, I don't know if it's ever been more important in the game. Like, I really do wonder if it's ever been more critical than it is now. I mean, because when you're working with young men, you have student athletes who aren't, you know, aren't, generally aren't past like 23 or 24 yet. It, it's, it, it's important that you mold those young players, but. It, it's recruiting. It's managing the portal. It's managing the perception and the brand of your program and dealing with the scrutiny and day-to-day of it all. So all, the, all those obvious job descriptions apply, but I think the, the programs who have these legendary coaches hanging on, uh, Rick Pitino, we'll talk about him being at St. John's. Like, it, it, It's a game changer. And so when you're even a, a talented team or a favorite on paper, uh, a, a top-end coach can totally flip things. Absolutely. So let's see. Do you want to go to the South region now? All right. Absolutely. So, we, were, we were kind of veering into the South region for a second. We were in the East. So why not just dip to the South? So, yeah, the South, uh, the winner of South will play the winner of East in the Final Four. But going down, um, Alabama is just, uh, I don't think we really have to talk about much there. They've just been blowing out their opponents. Nothing much to say. Uh, yeah, I mean, they've just looked good. No, no notable results necessarily. Um, San Diego State, they are in the Sweet 16, kind of proving the Mountain West can't win in March narrative wrong. Although they were the only team from the conference to win a game, I think they've proven that they're they're pretty legit. They had a good first-round game with Charleston um, and absolutely destroyed Furman, um, who we can talk about Furman. Uh, Furman over Virginia, in my opinion, that, that was an easy upset pick. Did you pick uh, Furman to win that game? I did not, and I thought I looked pretty good. Like, I was kind of kind of double, kind of just overthinking myself, psyching myself out of the upset pick. I figured, well, everybody's beating up on Virginia. Eventually, the, the Hoosers going to figure this one out, but not, not going to let it happen again, and I've learned my lesson now. And now, of course, they'll win the national championship next season if history repeats itself in certain ways. But, no, I, I, I regret. It's one of my biggest regrets of the first round, man. I, I, I went the direction of a couple other uh, upsets, and I, I stuck for a way. But that was not a matter of disrespect to Furman. I, I was really trusting Virginia's tape from certain parts of the ACC season. It didn't pan out. I mean, Virginia in crunch time, one last heave down the floor, giving away the basketball. You turn it over to a team that has nothing to lose as an underdog, and uh, one shot can, can, can have a pretty good chance of, of uh, ending your season. So uh, that was a nutty ending to ha- that I was on camp. I heard stories of, from campus here of kids in a class, like a big lecture hall, everybody was streaming it and everybody couldn't help but react like audibly, like ooing and eyeing as that shot went down. And the professor was like, all right, all right. Now that everybody's backs are busted, like let's get back to what. So it was just a universally 
shocking moment, I think, at least in terms of within that game, not the outcome. The end result, like you're alluding to, Austin, was certainly Furman was going to be in this ball game, but with those seconds remaining, you weren't sure they were going to get a chance to touch the basketball. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was over with, like, what, like 10 seconds left when they were down by, like, like four, and then, then, then they made those free throws. And, yeah, Virginia absolutely choked that game away. It's kind of funny because uh, Kia Clark and his first first March Madness made one of like the best passes of all time, uh, obviously based on the situation. And then to end his career, he uh, made one of the worst passes of all time. <laughs> and that led right to a JP yep. Pegues three to send Virginia home. I feel for, I feel for Clark too because that that the both of those moments now are going to be etched in my memory and the memories of college basketball fans and it it both moments were transformational but I guess it you know you want you don't want to let either play define you know his career other than maybe the positive the, the, the positive one the good one from years before uh it's just the, the all the eyes the eyeballs that are on there's no other moment like it I think in all of not only college sports you know but sports in general so I, I, I turned the ball over. We talked about my uh, my intramural basketball experience, Austin, this year. I turned the ball over at a pretty alarming rate, i got to be honest with you. So, I you know what? The defense and the crowd and the national television audience, it, even if you've been there before, like Kihei Clark had been, it's it's hard to account for until you live it, I'm sure. And I won't come close to living it myself, but it's I feel badly for him. I, I do because uh, it's a situation where you, you just hope his locker room uplifted him afterwards. You know, the teammates uplift him and, and help him recognize that it's bigger than that one play. But um, yeah, all, all, all the credit in the world goes to Furman. My gosh, it sounds like a coach, but Furman, you know, that, that's never say die attitude. That's some fairly Dickinson style attitude. That's we're going to, we're going to press you. and We're going to make you make plays until they call it off. Yeah. Well, uh, it seems as if Furman called it off in their next game because they, they did not stand a chance. Uh, San Diego State was just too good. Do you think San Diego State can compete with Alabama? Well, the Aztecs didn't get the best of warm-ups, I guess, for that purpose, but they also weren't straight. Like, I, I do sometimes wonder if a team has the attrition to, to go all the way against the top-level seed like Alabama if they're coming off of a really competitive, draining game. So you can look at it either way. I, I'm heavily leaning to Alabama. I, I think San Diego State can make it a good first half, and I'm not saying it's going to be a disrespectfully you know, wide final score, but... Uh, I think Alabama might be able to uh, take its foot off the gas at late and later in the second half because Alabama, the, what what it's shown so far, we didn't even have to get into the Crimson Tide too much, Austin, because we haven't seen anything that's given us pause, you know, so far in this bracket. So in the end, San Diego State really got squeezed by Charleston. It was a really close game with Charleston. That was a bit back and forth in the earlier stages of that game. And I, I we, we, you and I have kind of questioned how strong Charleston truly was. So maybe that gives us a little more, I, I wonder a little bit more about San Diego State than I question Alabama. Yeah, um, I, I think they could give them a solid run for their money. I will probably end up picking Alabama, but San, San Diego State is good. They have, they're have they a very physical team, so they should match up well in that uh, perspective. Pretty big. They go a lot uh, deep. Yeah, I, I Alabama just might be too good, but San Diego State... San Diego State is good. And then down at the uh, bottom of the bracket, we have a 6 versus a 15 seed uh, to go to Elite 8. Creighton versus Princeton. As a Creighton fan, I am glad that we have a 16 seed, although I think we Mizzou would have been just as fine because they're not very good. Uh, you, mean, you mean a 15? Did, did you say 16? Uh, 15, but... Uh, you, got, you got hit Princeton with the... 
with the with the, with yes. the credit. Princeton probably should have been a fourteen, but um, yeah, they Princeton. I I was surprised to see that they beat Arizona. Obviously, Arizona is a team that we uh, had. They they had some moments that they haven't looked great, but I thought with the bit the big men, uh, Princeton doesn't really have any like. Obviously, Toton is amazing, but Princeton doesn't have any like towering big men like Arizona does. So I was surprised that result. I was in practice, so I watched like the last like two minutes of that game, and uh, so I did not get to see a ton of that. But I did get to see Princeton absolutely blow out Missouri. Mizzou definitely uh has their on games and their off games, and. The first game versus Utah State was an on game, and Princeton was an off game. So yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not even surprised it's Princeton honestly blew out Mizzou. Like, is that is that surprising to you? Uh it it was in the sense that Princeton was coming off of an emotional win just a couple days prior, and I mean, I didn't necessarily expect that. You know, it's it's hard to wager that oh, the underdog, the 15 seed who just shocked Arizona is not only going to win the next game, but is going to win by such a wide margin. Uh, so I, I can't say I was as bold as to get behind Princeton in that fashion, but Princeton, despite the, the not having a huge size, uh, you know, not, not fairly thickens and small, but not having a, a runaway, you know, clear big either. Princeton kind of kept the, the ingredients of an upset together and kept the ingredients of just a, a pull away win over Mizzou. I mean, Mizzou was out of it in the first half and Princeton was never really threatened from there. I mean, I can't remember the last time we saw a, a 15 who, won a game to advance the Sweet 16 that was that that non-competitive. I mean, it's almost non-competitive, right? Like, I I was more surprised, really, in some ways, by the margin of victory versus Mizzou than I was the sheer outcome versus Arizona. Because Arizona, while it was certainly an undis- indisputable top two seed, we didn't even – we didn't discuss a lot of time the Pac-12 on the, on the show, and we were kind of looking at Arizona and UCLA as being those top two teams out of the conference. But I, I don't know that you and I had – the top either of those schools being at the top of our list of top national title contenders either so uh, i certainly wasn't expecting arizona to bow out you know on, on game one but at the same time uh princeton made a testament to the ivy league right like the ivy league doesn't participate in um you know football postseason in the ncaa's bracket the fcs level and they cite you know academic schedule concerns but like certainly it's a long time for princeton to be on the road or in a way you know from campus and princeton look how they represented the league so I think it's a great representation of the Ivy League and a great, you know, kind of model for, hey, you know, get these schools in, you know, per- allow them to participate in various postseason different sports because you have moments like this, right? Like basketball special, and this is especially, um, you know, well-known, but there are other athletes at these Ivy League schools who, you know, could pull off similar feats. So Princeton, the way it did it was not unorthodox. Like, I do think that, like, it almost reminded me a bit of um, Fairly Dickinson in terms of the Arizona, the win of Arizona Princeton had, but... I, I, it's funny to like see the trend of like people pulling up the LinkedIn profiles of the Princeton players, right? And like just seeing like these are like kind of not everyday guys. These are like you know near, near brainiacs or true brainiacs out there, and they and they they're not intimidated by a P five. So that was really, I think, notable. I certainly caught my attention, but that was kind of the vibe of the first round. Was there's a lot of chaos, and that what really got my eye was the fact that they blew out Mizzou by that margin because I. I went in respecting Mizzou more than I guess I should have because I probably showed too much love to the on games you talked about and didn't really pay attention to the red flags from the off games they had bad. Yes. Um, yeah, it, the thing about Princeton is crazy is that because the COVID year kind of screwed everything up and 
Ivy League players, they they can't grad transfer. So, like after their four years, if they still have eligibility, they they basically well that they, they can grad transfer, but they can't take uh they can't they can't do grad school at the Ivy League programs. So they have to transfer. And last year, Princeton was amazing too. They were clearly the best team in the Ivy League. They the tournament did not go as planned. But they were certainly better than Yale last year. And they lost Jalen Llewellyn to Michigan, Ethan Wright to Colorado, Drew Freeberg to Belmont. Like, they lost some good players. And then it's just crazy. Just like, they're yeah. just so good again. I mean, I, I think Resilient. last year's team was better. Yeah. But, yeah. like, they're, they're, still, yeah. they're still good. Um, obviously what, getting yeah. Tosan back, who... He will probably uh, be on the move after this season. That will be an interesting name to watch, assuming he enters the portal. So, what a resilient like program though, like the culture of that program, the coaching staff in charge there, and say, hey, like we're not gonna. They, they weren't waving the white flag just because they lost a ton of names. And it, you're you make a good point about the Ivy League programs. I was talking about Ivy League athletic departments in general, but the Ivy League basketball programs did not play in the COVID, you know, heavily COVID affected season. Losing that year, you have guys who can't play their graduate year's eligibility at that given Ivy League school because they're you know you don't have the academic pathway for that at an Ivy. So, Princeton, although it has a lot of institutional advantages in terms of being an elite place to go to school, and that'll draw a certain kind of you know recruit. Um, it's not. It was hard, especially in this era of college basketball. Like there were schools who really benefited from the extra COVID years because they could hold on to guys longer, and that that's not the case this team. This is a team that was really remade. So I'm glad you brought that up. That was really one of the highlights of uh, this upset run that we've seen from Princeton. Yeah, it's definitely interesting because I mean, just Ivy League in general, like you can like kind of tell what guys are entering the portal. Like obviously, we've seen a lot of good Ivy League players, like Chris Ludlam, um, Dave Medellican, uh, Paxson Boshik, um yeah, the, like, yes, uh, yeah, Ivy League players cannot complete grad programs at uh, the school. So, yeah, that that's that's always something interesting to uh, watch. And I actually think, just on, on a side note, that uh, Jordan Dingle, a pen, I believe he took that year off of school, what I saw. So he should be back at Penn next year, even though this was this was his fourth year out of high school. So he this is fourth year, but he didn't go to school the COVID year because he wanted to stay at Penn. So yeah, but if if he somehow enters the portal, that would uh, still be a huge name. But moving on to the actual yeah. games, uh, moving back to the games, um, let's move to the Midwest region, which. I will be in attendance for the game, so that will be a fun one to watch. I like what we're, we're seeing with the matchups. Um, yeah, uh, Houston, they had some injury concerns. The people injured still played. Um, they were down to Auburn by like 10 points at halftime, and they ended up blowing Auburn out of the water in the second half. Um, Houston is my national championship pick, and I think I'm still sticking with that. Um, Auburn was not a very uh, yeah, Iowa Auburn was not a very good eight nine matchup. Um, but yeah, um, I mean, what what is this tournament told you about Houston? Like, I mean, I mean, what what is your like takeaway after 
watching them for a few games. So when I think about Houston in this bracket, I think back to even the round of 64 versus Northern Kentucky. That game got interesting for a, a bit in maybe the middle portion of the game, but late in the game, NKU was just chucking up shots, really hacking up threes. I wasn't exactly sure what the Norse's philosophy was other than being a bit panicked. And Houston's a team that will get you into a panic, and not, not just underdogs. Like Houston will get you out of your zone, out of your comfort zone. Uh, that's a good national championship pick. I think, you know, among the teams remaining, Houston kind of is the team that would remind me most of the level of an Alabama. Um, do I do think back to Houston the regular season, the loss to Temple, like if you, 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 that kind of upset loss, that can happen in, in, in March when you're playing so many challenging games in X number of weeks. But um, Houston, when Sasser's healthy, it's a, it's a team that could, it should be there in the in the end at the Final Four. I think it's a team that's especially driven because and you find the Final the, Four is in Houston. So. That's what I was gonna say. The Final Four is in Houston. You know, so that extra motivation to be playing for practically home court at NRG Stadium in Houston that would be that'd be something. That, I mean, making the Final Four is already a lifelong memory, but that would be think about you know the player. I'm sure the players' families at Houston, things like that, are especially on the edge of their seats for the possibility of that. So it's a team that will be playing driven by that a bit as well, not trying to be consumed by the moment or overly overly excited, you know, and you can't look too far ahead towards the Final Four. But Houston's one step closer, and their top end, when they're playing at their top end speed, look out. Yes, um, but before Houston makes it to Houston, they have to play through the Midwest region, which their first matchup will be versus Miami, which... Miami played amazing versus Indiana. They they are a fun team to watch, but Miami honestly played kind of bad versus Drake. They they should not have beat Drake. Um, I mean Drake Drake choked that game at end. They couldn't make anything in the last few minutes, and plus Tucker DeVries did like nothing all game. So Drake absolutely blew that one. Um, I had Drake winning. I probably would pick Drake. Uh, if I did it over, if this happened again. Um, but yeah, but then Miami, they went out and they looked amazing versus Indiana. They, I mean, TJD played good, if I recall right. Um, Miami was just too overpowering. Miami has some guards that can really play. Omir has been big lately, and him being healthy is crucial because going into the tournament, there was some, uh, questions on where whether he would play in a Drake game or not. I don't think that even got like released whether he would play or not until like the actual day or the day before. Yeah. There was a report so, the day of. Yeah, there was a report yes. that looks like Jeff Goodman had it or one somebody who had it. Yeah. It was it was it was a mystery. Yep. Yes. Um yeah, this th- it will be huge. Obviously Omir is huge against Houston the way Houston plays. Houston plays a very physical brand of basketball. They have some bases that's really like want to kill you on the glass. And that's kind of what Omir does as well. And Miami is a team that struggles on defense, but they will really need him to have a big game versus Houston in order to compete. I think I don't see Miami making this too competitive. I think Indiana might have been a better matchup, but Miami Miami looked very good versus Indiana, and I thought Indiana would win that game as well. So, I don't know. It, Miami... Do you think Miami is a shot versus Houston? I like Alabama more than Houston, so I guess like it's not so much. It is about Houston, though, right? Like I, I don't really want to pick against Houston. You alluded to the rebounding 
he's playing the crash of the force and Calvin Sampson. Like I, I don't that along with the defense of Tennessee, like those kind of trends are, you know, those usual college basketball and just basketball in general cliches or things you look for that'll last in March, deeper into March. So I don't really love Miami's odds against Houston, but I think it's I think it's a better shot than San Diego State Alabama. I, I think that Miami it, it escapes Drake and that's a quality win, right? Like I don't think I'm not gonna penalize Miami for I know it didn't look crisp against Drake and Drake really sold that game in a number of ways. Um, and Miami benefited from DeVries being off, but I think Miami, it, Miami has, so like the pair of wins Miami has to get to this point, it probably among the most impressive pairs of wins in the tournament, right? Like, so Miami's already has notched quality resume builders under its belt here. Gives me an idea that they're, they've, they stepped up to the plate in the previous two games, but uh, Houston, is probably a little bit closer up my upset watch than Alabama would be. And that's not necessarily a criticism of Houston. The bigs, the rebounding, those all translate game over game the later you get. But Miami may have something cooking here because I I probably picked, would have picked against Miami, and I had this in my bracket. Like not, I didn't even necessarily have Miami being Drake. I, I didn't in the round of 64. But if I were having a new round of picks with each new fresh round of games in the tournament, I would have picked against Miami twice, and look where look where it's gotten me. I would have been wrong twice. So I true. I do I do start thinking about heck maybe the Canes like there's something we need to start appreciating about you know one of those mid range seeds who puts it together uh, within the tournament. Yes, yeah, that will be interesting to see if Miami can compete. Uh, and then moving down to the bottom of the Midwest region, we have Xavier and Texas. Um, this. This will be an interesting game. Uh, Xavier, the Xavier should not have won versus Kansas State, but they did look pretty solid versus Pitt the other day. Um, they can score with a lot of different players. I think their whole starting five was in double digits. Boom has been huge this year. Nunji has been good. Colby Jones, yes, they even though they're missing Fremantle, which I really don't think is um, I mean he's a good player, but I really don't think they're like ceiling and like overall outlook really changes based on if they have Fremantle or not. Um, Jerome Hunter has actually been like really good this year and the role he's played. But yeah, uh, this, this will be a good game because Texas also, Texas is amazing. Um, and Rodney Terry's job might be on the line here, uh, depending on the results of this game, which will also be a storyline to follow. Um, but yeah, um, Texas has been Texas Texas played a close one versus Penn State the other day. Um yeah. Uh how do you this this matchup is an interesting one because um I I don't know. I feel like these teams are just kind of different almost. Um I mean they're they're both really good teams. It's like a matchup that I haven't really uh thought about a ton like it's just like kind of a weird matchup almost it's it's a bit funky because i don't i think we've respected xavier and tennis in tennessee i'm thinking of orange t schools great I'm, I'm that guy now making that error xavier and texas we've respected them all season right like we've known that these are tournament teams but we didn't necessarily now i know texas came out of the big 12 tournament and ended up facing atop that but like i we didn't necessarily think of either of them as being at the top of their conference right so like i think that's part of it it's almost like now they are some of the best, you know, one of the few teams standing, and we, we see them head-to-head, and we're trying to make heads or tails of this kind of funky matchup. Uh, Texas, I lean that direction. 
I guess it's partially just Big 12. Like, I went in doubt. When it, and this feels like a 50-50 game in a lot of ways. So, when in doubt, roll with the Big 12, the way we've really uh, seen you know, that conference. If it doesn't sharpen you for the NCAA tournament, what would, right? So, I think maybe in 50-50 spot, you lean the Big 12 school with Texas. But I'm sure Xavier would properly take offense to that because it wasn't like the Big East was down either um, this season. Uh, when you think about the, the the run that Marquette made and you had Creighton, you know, your Creighton Blue Jays and making life in the Big East difficult as well. So I, I lean with Texas, you know, Carr and those guys, but I don't like this. This is a game that's so hard to pick. It, it, it's almost one you, you want to stay away from if you were uh, if you were the gambling type because I'm not I, I'm not totally sure how I how I play this. It'd probably be a game time decision for me. Yes. Um. Yeah. I will. I will be in attendance for this game. So I'm definitely excited to see how this one shapes out. Yeah. Uh. Desu was huge versus uh versus Penn State for Texas. He really had a huge game. He had like 26 points or something. He was their go-to guy down the stretch. Penn State could not stop him. Um, that will be interesting because um, the matchup with him and Nunji, they're sort of similar players in a way. Um, they're, they're kind of mobile-ish bigs. Um, I guess you you could say that like um I no, mean they're they're mo- they're modern bigs they're modern yeah. bigs I mean that's what you're asking you know the big men these days is to be flexible enough be athletic enough to uh, step out a bit yeah I mean I don't think Desu shoots like a ton of threes but he can still like run the floor pretty well um has has range outside of just like the paint um but yeah that that will be an interesting game Mo- moving down to the West region um. The Kansas versus Arkansas game was a that was a game, another game that just uh, reinstates the fact that March Madness is the best tournament in all of sports, and yes, this was this was amazing. This was also one of the best games of the tournament. Um, yeah, Arkansas uh, Devo Davis really had a huge game. There were lots of people in foul trouble. Arkansas got it out, and then Eric Musselman acted like he won a national championship with this one. But, yeah, th- that was huge. W- what are your thoughts uh, about that game? Yeah, Musselman having a legacy moment there, celebrating, whipping his shirt off afterwards. I mean, that's kind of his M.O., though, right? So, like, hey, if like I said about Jerome Tang, if you, it, it's in this day, but the social media age, like, I think it's great that coaches kind of have these signature moments and, like, sure they kind of can make fools of themselves and stuff and be relatable and look like they're having fun. Like, that's all great. And that's well, well earned because Arkansas, man, this team that can score, they just outscored Kansas. And I was struck by that. I really, I mentioned Texas A&M earlier at, at the SEC. Uh, certainly, Alabama was kind of taking up you know, all my attention from the SEC as well. And so, Arkansas, although I was very confident in it coming out of its 8 9 game, I didn't expect the road to continue past Kansas. Like I kind of assumed Kansas. No, I wasn't. I was never going to pick Kansas to win the national championship. You know, it's hard to, really hard to repeat. And I didn't think that was going to be in the cards against uh, some combination of Bama and Houston. You know, towards the end of the bracket, where those two are probably my preferred one seeds. But the Jayhawks, they, they didn't have the benefit of Bill Self coaching either game. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I talked a lot about coaching and the effect, you know, the, the in-game management can have, but really it's the, it's the horses that Arkansas has. Those scores just didn't, it was a situation where like Princeton running Mizzou out of the building, but Arkansas held firm in the second half and 
that's uh you know when you feel momentum on your side as an underdog sometimes you, you run you ride that all the way to the end so uh, Arkansas is probably one of my biggest mystery teams. Like I don't know about you, Austin, but I didn't have Arkansas on this spot, so I'm kind of trying to calibrate where I might I might be saying Woo Pig's doing. You're like, is it all the way to the Elite Eight, or what do we have here? Um, I mean, I don't know because UConn is really good. And just just back to Kansas a little bit. I think like the past like six or seven years, a national championship national champion has failed to make the Sweet Sixteen. So maybe we should have seen this coming. I did not think about that when I was uh, making my bracket. I had Kansas, not not to the Final Four, but I had him beating Arkansas in this game. But going down to UConn, UConn has been playing good lately, and we've seen it. They can be the best team in the country at times. And this tournament, they have kind of been playing like it again. So Jordan Hawkins has been huge recently. This, I think UConn might have what it takes to win it all. I'm not saying they will win it all, but I wouldn't be surprised at the same time. Like this UConn team is good and this UConn versus Arkansas will be an interesting matchup. Both are extremely talented, pretty well coached teams. They will be very interesting to see how this shapes out. How how do you what are your thoughts on this UConn Arkansas uh six sweet sixteen matchup? Yeah, we, we say time and time again, the metrics have loved UConn all season long. Uh, I There's a gut part of me that likes Arkansas here. Like, I just, I think once you beat the one seed, I think the, the whole outlook changes a little bit. I start to look at you a little bit differently. Can't, can't just, UConn, though, has probably been disrespect. I've disrespected it. Like, I probably haven't given it enough props for um, when it's playing. It's, yeah, it gets to one of the better two-way teams in the country. And like that's kind of what you're, I think you're kind of talking about when you say, hey, they could win the whole thing, right? Like they don't have the same stardom, like the same stars at the very top, like at least not in my kind of view of how the, the stars are aligned in college basketball this season. But the the two-way game is strong there. I, I kind of like Arkansas, though. Like, I, I think Arkansas's offense will just pick up where I left off from the win over Kansas. Yeah, well, I'd probably pick UConn in this game. But moving down to the other matchup, Gonzaga versus UCLA, which is a good one. These teams are both very good teams. They're rivals in a sort, not like actual like rivals really, but obviously because of that Jalen Suggs shot, uh, UCLA will be wanting to uh, come out and win that game with a handful of players that were on that team, like Caucus, Campbell. They were... On that team, if uh, UCLA can stay healthy, they can. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure what the word was on Singleton. I know he went down. And it looked really bad, and he kind of like. I don't know. Uh, let me let me check uh, if there's been any status on that. But Gonzaga, they've been playing good lately. Uh, Timmy has been. He's one of the best players in the country still. Um. Who do you have coming out of this game? UCLA. I think UCLA avenges that infamous loss. Um, it, 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 it's a close game, so I almost look at you know, that extra motivational factor. You know, anywhere you can see an edge at play could be there. Uh, and I think the Pac-12 does have at least one Elite Eight team in it. And so I'm not saying that, oh, because Arizona lost, we must see UCLA going on a run. But uh, UCLA, at least before it leaves the league, I think it puts it on its back a little bit. Um, Gonzaga definitely we kind of saw as being, hey, it's still top 20, maybe not top 10. And so if, if, we're, if we're following that logic from the regular season, uh, I, I think you do end up saying this is where Gonzaga's road would end 
it's not a team that was in the top 10 or top, you know, elite eight, but it was a team that was going to be in the sweet 16. So I think if, if UCLA advances, as I'm predicting, it's going to be a spot where each team's kind of ending up where we predicted. Yes. I think UCLA would be my easy pick in this game. If Jalen Clark had not gone down at the end of the season, the regular season, but I don't know who to pick here. I think I have like different uh, teams winning in different brackets. I kind of like both these teams to make the final four, whoever comes out of this. Um, yeah, I this will be a good matchup. There will be some bad blood with UCLA after what happened in the past. And then obviously did and then didn't like uh Gonzaga play UCLA like the first or one of the first games of the season after that, and they won by like twenty. Did that? Did that happen? So I'm racking my brain right now. I don't remember it being by that necessarily twenty. No, but I'm, I there think was it a, was. Let, let me. Yeah. Let me. Let me check the. Uh, Got to get the research department on it. But while you're doing that, yeah, maybe you know. And the flip side of my what I was saying yeah, earlier yeah, Gunz- is perhaps. Yeah. Perhaps. Yeah, Gonzaga won. Yeah. By twenty versus the last year on November twenty third. So maybe the Zags have the Bruins number in a certain way. Like that, that could be a situation where Mark Few really has them figure it out. But Gonzaga is weaker than they have been in the past. And UCLA is yeah. probably stronger. I would stronger say on balance when healthy, although now you're, yeah, you're making a great point of the mention of the injury. But I, I mean, they, they still look, I mean, I think that's a big loss, but I don't think that's like the end of the road. Uh, Clark was arguably the best defender in the nation, but you can't overlook the fact that they still like Hawkes who was, is one of the best players in the nation and the best player on UCLA, regardless um, of injuries. But yeah, fully healthy UCLA would bar maybe be my national championship pick, but I'm not sure if I can. Yeah, I think this will win this game. But so to to wrap up our bracket talks, who is your final four and champion and and title game? Well, I had. I've had a couple would-be Final Four teams get knocked out. Um, Who's your Final Four based on who's left? I have to get my my notes back in front of me. Just got to get back to my tournament challenge because I have a specific – I had a specific, um, like, leaderboard in terms of that's the women's tournament challenge, which is doing all right, but I'm still getting hurt there too. I want to say – I had Alabama. I had Alabama in my final four, and that's still there. Alabama's my national champion, so that's why that comes to mind pretty quickly. Um, let me make sure I get access to my – because I had four – obviously, I wish you could make composite brackets, like merge all four or five brackets you're making and go from there. But I got to look at my primary, the first bracket I made. And with that, it was Bama winning it all. From here, I do like Alabama to make the final four. I got to stick with them. I'm just, Austin, you, you can share your back first because I'm still loading mine up. I'm finally getting access to it here. Um, yes, well, as we go through. I have Alabama making the final four as well. I hope it's Creighton, but I, uh, I'd be more confident in Alabama making it given how good they've been this season in the East region. Um, hmm. I don't know who I'd have coming out of this. I would. 
Uh, give me Kansas State. Uh, my original pick was Duke. Um, out of who's left, give me Kansas State. But really, any of these four teams are not shocking. I'm not super confident about any of the four teams as well. Um, K-State versus Michigan State might be the game to make the Final Four. Like, uh, might be, like, the winner yeah, of that with- will make it. Because Izzo is – that. this will be a test uh, for both teams. I'm with you on that. Yep. Uh, Houston, obviously, as I mentioned, they're my national championship pick, so I will have them coming out of there. Um, uh, this this so one's me, tough. So for me, yeah. I'm, I'm and then give me UCLA in the uh, yeah. West region. I was going to start with picking UCLA in the West. Yep. Yep. So you have your four, yes. it sounds like. Yeah. So I, I now that I have my original bracket loaded up, I can own up to the fact that I did have Alabama, Marquette, Houston, and Kansas originally, so that was way too top-heavy, and I paid the price for that. Looking at it again in the South, I rolled Alabama, uh, but I, I like Creighton, man. I like Creighton. I do think Creighton can end Princeton, Cinderella, and then Creighton is a better test. I know it's six and five, but I actually do think Creighton make Alabama work a little bit more. Um, Kansas State, the, the Kansas State vibes are going to the Final Four. What I said earlier about Little Baby, that's going to happen. It's going to be – I'm glad that we're going to have that audio clip to pursue it. Uh, Houston out of the Midwest to make the make the home home court dream come true, and I do have Arkansas getting to UCLA, getting to that game in the Elite Eight, but then UCLA. So it would be UCLA, Houston, K State, and Bama. So we're we're we're, we're great. Yeah, I we might regret sleeping on UConn here. Well, I am even more because I like I I think Arkansas is that one eight seed who just makes who makes who makes that run. But I'm, UConn I'm is more. good. Yeah, I could. No, that's, that's I true. could very much see either UConn, Gonzaga, or UCLA, and even Arkansas. Like Arkansas is, has a talent. Like I wouldn't be super surprised if they made it. I think they're at least likely out of the four. But I don't know. They're they're good. Um. So, in, in, who's your final then? In my final. I want. I can't take Ricky Council and Arkansas that far, because um, that just seems like that would be too feckless on my part. So from that point on, you would say UCLA over. Wait, I already went to. I've already moved too quickly here. Alabama's in the final for me because I that was my original national champion pick, and then you take. I don't really trust. I mean, if UConn did end up in the elite in the West, like maybe, like say hypothetically, I'd be okay with UConn in national championship game and one game decide everything. But I can see Alabama in the end probably facing. Oh man, probably facing Houston, right? Like, isn't that yeah. doesn't that kind of feel like the way we're we're headed? It doesn't yeah, really feel I like mean, it's gonna be that kind of bracket where one seeds last, but. Yeah, so so we have the same Final Four and the same national championship with different national championship pick. It's also yeah. probably important to note that we have the highest seeds for every uh, region. Although although it's not like we just went ahead and picked the highest seeds because they're no. <laughs> seeded higher. We, we definitely gave our fair uh, talk to why these other teams can make it. Uh, yep. we, we might be proven wrong, but I could definitely see this outcome I'm, happening. But you know, it's, it's March. Yeah. It is March. It is March. Like, I, what I really should be saying is Miami's going to knock out Houston in the Sweet 16, and from there you're going to see all kinds of chaos. You'll see Miami-Texas. You'll see Miami-Texas go down to the wire, and Texas will win. Yeah, maybe maybe we'll see, see, like, FAU winning it all or something. 
I, that would not upset me in the least either. You know that much. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. One, one thing I want to mention about FAU is like, obviously that, that, uh, attempted dunk at the end of the game, he should, he shouldn't have done that, but I don't like everyone pretending like FAU is like the villain now. Like I saw Rostin t- tweet out in the middle of the FAU game. No, his nobody roots for Goliath tweet. Like, FAU is not Goliath. They have won zero tournament games in history going into this tournament. Like, yes, they're the higher seed team in this game, but that does not make them Goliath. They they weren't even supposed to win their first round game. Right. This is the first season ever they've been top 100 in Ken Palm, and they're they're like 20th. Like, this is not Goliath. Right. They're they're an underdog story as well. Like, I agree. Yeah, I agree. I agree on the in-game thing. Like, I didn't understand. Like, like okay, just because of who you're – just your opponent alone being FDU doesn't make you Goliath. Uh, but I, the, the dunk, the dunk attempt at the end changed everything. That's, yeah. that was inexcusable, man. That was, you just can't, I understand like you're advancing, like you're, you're just trying to win, like you're celebrating, but that's just in that spot against America's, you know, sweetheart, darling and FDU and the smallest team in the bracket. Like, I'm not saying like taking pity, like having a pity party for Fairleigh Dickinson, but like, come on, like read the room. Like, it's just so yeah. unnecessary. It was actually kind I, of, yeah. I mean, it, they didn't have foul maddening. the game. The game was over. He shouldn't have done that. Yeah. But I I don't like pretending I don't like everyone acting like FAU is like the villain now. Like I, I still want to see FAU win some games and go far. Like I like this team. Uh, yeah, I think I, need, I honestly my first reaction to that failed dunk attempt was like, oh yeah, Tennessee, like Tennessee by Tennessee by fifty. But like yeah, I step back and be like, okay, like look, like that's more about being disappointed for those guys, fairly Dickinson, who are so easy to kind of get behind and appreciate the. The, the what they put in and, and what it's all turned out to be for them like that it's really more about that you know and being upset for Fairleigh Dickinson and, and you know feeling for those guys than it is you know being really angry with Florida Atlantic like you you need some time and space I think America needed some time to grieve the, the loss of the Cinderella run right yeah yeah I, w- I was actually rooting for FAU that game because I, I've been on the how whole could, season how could you not nah, I, I was on good, the whole yeah. season yeah that's true that makes you a good stick by stay, stand your ground makes you makes you a good makes you a good analyst that's for sure Yes. Um, yeah, it definitely uh, reinforces that I've been hyping them up all season. Probably wouldn't have looked amazing if they would have lost to a 16 seed, but yes, they are good. Um, and is there anything more you want to hit on with the bracket? That pretty well covers it. You've heard me put my eggs in the Arkansas basket, which might not go well. Probably should be looking at Miami or UConn. That's kind of my big impression of takeaways. And my also impression is, Heck, uh, it feels like you feel like pretty confident that Bama and Houston are probably the best remaining, but that the way this field has gone, it doesn't necessarily mean they're on a collision course to wind up in the natty because there have been way, there have been way too many chaotic moments for it to really work out that smoothly, that perfectly, that chalky. Yes. Um, and moving on uh, to our new section of the podcast, the coaching change. But before which want to give our condolences out to St. Francis, Brooklyn, who will no longer have athletic programs. It is a sad day for the NEC, and uh, I really feel for all the players especially, but um, I heard, like, all the players this year had to, like, Uber to practices. Like, they didn't even play at their own arena, and they had to play, like, weird game times. So there, no there was there was some uh, stuff that would suggest uh, it was trending this way. Yeah, yeah. The university as a whole is restructuring up there. They're relocating campuses. Their main campus is going to move across Brooklyn a little ways, and with that, there were just these prohibitive facility costs, right? Like there wasn't the wasn't the capability to really have 
a situation where St. Francis Brooklyn couldn't purchase its own space uh, for athletics. It kind of became untenable, but hard to tell that to these student athletes, right? Like these existing teams and the spring sports yeah. teams, right? Even beyond basketball, like those guys and gals are in their seasons at the moment. Mm-hmm. And so to play the rest of the way, like I, I couldn't imagine like trying to keep going to school in that same place, knowing that the plug's being pulled. It's uh, it's devastating. So I, yes. yeah, like every, it is. every player has like entered the portal on their basketball team. Um, yeah. So, so does this mean that, uh, we can just call St. Francis, Pennsylvania, just St. Francis. Now we don't have, we don't have to make the distinction. We may have, we'll, we'll, we'll check with us. The St. Francis red flashes, uh, SID team, you know, see how they'd like to be referred to officially, you know, in, in, in common parlance. But I mean, I guess that could be a good inference. I mean, in, in my area of the country, I do see the St. Francis PA school a fair bit, you know, in competition. And so it, that, that may be, that may be how they roll one fewer St. Francis, which is, uh, you know, not to make light of the whole thing, but I mean, that's what it boils down to is, oh my gosh, they're, they're, Division One Northeast landscape got a little bit different and uh, the NEC is going to have to pivot a bit. We'll see how the NEC proceeds with uh, expansion possibilities. Yes, I mean, uh, there are some, the NE10 is basically like the NEC. Like, it's kind of the same thing, honestly. Like, uh, we've, well, we've seen the teams yeah. move up and like be yeah. better in, in D1 than they were in D2, so. Merrimack, Merrimack were remiss, not to mention Merrimack, the fact yeah. that they, they were Stonehill. the NEC tournament winner. Yeah, yes, yes. But like Stonehill finished second in the conference this year, and they they were like a middle of the pack any ten team I believe last year. So they can definitely uh find some teams from there if they wish to uh um yeah add. I'm with you. You could see you could see Bentley, you know Mercyhurst. Maybe uh Warner talks about Lemoyne. Lemoyne, Lemoyne's a big one. Lemoyne, I'm glad you bring them up because. Uh, you depending on what you read, what you hear, maybe the Mac, you know, maybe Metro Atlantic gets involved there, but maybe you see the Mac also, you know, maybe take a long look at Fairleigh Dickinson, just ride that momentum. And then you have Iona and the Mac versus Fairleigh Dickinson. That could be interesting as we get close to our coaching changes segment. But yeah, I, it, Lemoyne is definitely one that in terms of its relations, you know, it's already kind of sent those feelers out to the, the student athletes. That campus community is pretty well aware that division one is an aspiration for them. Yes. So next year there there will be three hundred sixty one D one teams. No more St. Francis, Brooklyn. No more Hartford in D one. Hartford will still exist as an athletic program, just compete at Division three level, which also sucks. But I would rather have St. Francis, Brooklyn move to D three than cut everything. But I mean, it's kind of sucks both ways in this situation. Hey, if you're in D three, you still need a gym. You still need a gym. You still need a pool for your aquatic sports. It's 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 really really hard to see. Yes. Uh. So, moving on to the coaching hires, and there have been some big ones in the last few days. Arguably, the biggest, uh, based on just like everything going on, has been Ed Cooley to Georgetown, which has. And the thing I don't like, or I, I mean, I love to hire, but uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, now Providence. Uh, fans are starting to like hate on Cooley, which I do not like. Um, yeah, it's 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 a sticky situation, right? When you see a coach who's in the process of making a move intra-conference within a conference, and Providence fans, you know, they're kind of getting a message sent. You know, in some ways, some folks I'm sure are interpreting it as like, how could we be a, not as good a job as Georgetown, right? Like Georgetown's fallen off the face of the earth, and we have been on the rise. You know, thanks to the work of Coach Cooley in large part, and. I, it certainly is a big shock to the system, I think, for Friars fans to have that happen. I can understand the bitterness, 
Um, and it, it may take some time before that kind of eases a bit. Yes. Um, yeah, Georgetown is easily a better job, I'd say. Um, obviously, they've struggled re- lately, but you can recruit way better there. Um, good facilities. The fan base will come back when success happens. Um, yeah. What a recruiting I mean, hotbed, too. What, what an area to recruit. I mean, Cooley's going to his, – his presence as a recruiter is going to be a game changer there for them. Yes. Um. Yes, but Providence fans did not uh are not very happy about this. So Georgetown versus Providence next year will be interesting. And to follow that up, Providence already found their guy in George Mason head coach Kim English. I I I don't love this hire, if I'm being honest. I think uh English is a very like flashy hire. Uh brings he's gonna bring some buzz to the program for sure. Um gonna going to get recruits i mean he got some solid guys at george mason but like i don't think we've seen that he can actually be like a really good coach and uh like i don't know do you agree with me on that topic yeah i, I i've seen the, the similar kind of criticism of it on twitter uh it's a bit of a gamble in some respects uh but i it, head coaching hires similar to recruiting it can be such a crapshoot like that's probably cliche number three or four we use in that to describe this kind of process, but um, I do think that I, you want to give Coach English his fair shot. It's hard shoes to fill. Like I think part of it is a perception of going from you know losing a coach to a conference rival to now somebody who's a bit unproven in our eyes in terms of the Power Six level, obviously. But it's kind of funny when I think about you know regionally or what they're pulling from. George Mason is in that Fairfax, Virginia spot in the greater DC area. Providence in a spot along the coast, you know, is going to be required to compete with Georgetown and the former coach, uh, soon to be former coach of Providence for that kind of DC area kids up and down 95. So I'm intrigued by it. I'm intrigued by it. I, it's a bit of an eyebrow raiser. I didn't expect him. I expected English to be like a finalist for it. I didn't necessarily know that they were going to go in that direction. Um, but I, I, I need to do a little bit more research in the day, obviously, and kind of, kind of get an idea of, in all honesty, you know, was there a connection with the AD at Providence? You know, what were the different things that kind of made it make sense from an you know, administrative faith in him kind of level? So I, I don't want to call it dead on arrival or anything like that. Like, clearly he's worth – he was certainly worth an interview or two or three. Um, but, yeah, I think, it's a bit, I think it's all just a bit of a shock to the system. Like, I, I know we had talked in a prior episode. I didn't necessarily see – I honestly was kind of under, underselling Georgetown a bit like that the history, the ability, what you can tap into there. If you just revive it, if you pump a little bit of life back into it, it can be really special. And kind of, I kind of not considered as much of maybe Cooley's perspective of, Hey, maybe Providence has kind of hit a ceiling a bit, you know, in terms of what he can do there. So uh, I, I didn't even necessarily see the Providence job coming open this quickly. And so that's why maybe I'm still kind of getting adjusted to the candidate pool, candidate pool that Providence had and English right into the top of that. It did take me a bit by surprise. Yes, um, I'm honestly a little surprised that Cooley took the job. I mean, I I knew he would. I don't know. Um, I knew he was going to be the main target. I didn't know if he was going to take it or not, but he did. And yeah, Georgetown. I think he. I think he did everything he could at Providence. Like I don't know if he could have gotten better. Like just just the recruits you can get. Like he was. Like I I I saw somewhere that Providence can be like in the mix for these guys. Like Georgetown will get these guys and. Yeah, Georgetown, and plus, like, for a blackhead coach, like, Georgetown is the job, I'd say. Would, would you it's agree a ton with of prestige. that? Yeah, it's a ton of prestige. I think just, unfortunately, Pat Ewing was just the wrong, you know, swing yeah. and miss there. And so, 
like it's not it's not like it's not salvageable. It's not it's not salvageable. Yes, Georgetown has tons of potential left. And moving within the Big East, Rick Patino to St. John's. We kind of thought he would go to Georgetown, but then Georgetown didn't even uh they, they were just focused on Cooley and Patino. Well, all right, well, I guess I'm just going to St. John instead. And yeah, I I think he'll be great there. Um, I mean, maybe not like great, but like very good that he will go to tournament there, which Mike Anderson cannot do. Um his players yeah. at Iona, a lot of them have entered the portal, like uh not not uh I, I would say uh Walter Clayton and Nellie Jr. Joseph are both big East caliber players, along with if you're able to get like Soriano, Poshback, um, and then plus Patino is gonna get guys because he's Rick Patino and can recruit to the big east now. Like he was getting good players in the Mac. Like yep. <laughs> ima- imagine who he can get now. Right. Which... Now you're exactly right. The, the institutional fit is there for him. Uh, being in New York, right, like a return to the Garden. I know I was uh, reading some of the coverage of Rick Pitino's uh, introductory press conference at St. John's, and to, to hear him kind of talk about, you know, Saint, the goal is to have St. John's playing those all those biggest games, those marquee games back at MSG and being a prominent figure in the New York City sports scene. Uh, it's just, it, it it's so home for him. It, it just feels right. Uh, it's, a situation where he, at, at last, you know, you think back to Patino spending time in Greece even to get, you know, in his early times of getting separation from the Louisville era. So this was, this was, this was kind of such a, you could really see this one telegraphed. And um, it, it's one that makes so much sense on paper that we're probably maybe not even kind of taking enough stock for the fact that there are hurdles here. Like St. John's is a bit of a hole here. There are big East schools that pass them by, but, but, it's not, but Patino's again, it's gonna not, get them back there. Like Patino, right, is... right? Like I don't, I don't think. Yeah, I think Patino's kind of puts it like, like, like we talked about shock to the system, getting juice back in. Like the Big East has a chance to be a real re- re- recruiting. Just uh, what do you want to call it? What would you call it? Battleground, right? Like up and down that that those standings. They're gonna see schools that they on the court. They hadn't really been there as much, but they have new blood. So new blood and and um, the stuff of legends a bit in Patino. Yes, it will. I, I, yeah, I think he's really going to take this program next level. And they were just uh, mediocre. I mean, that that's the uh, definition of Mike Anderson. He's just mediocre. He's never like terrible, but he's never really good either. And Patino is very good. He was probably better. Iona was probably better in St. John's this year. And St. John's actually like kind of had talent. I mean, Iona did too, but like, uh, Patino, Patino just elevates it by himself. Plus, the players are going to be able to bring in, not just Iona players, but also just appeal of he's Rick Patino. So that is going to be big. Uh, Damon Stoudemire, he is back into the college world, and he took a job at Georgia Tech. Which, um, yeah, I mean, what are your um, initial yeah. thoughts on this one? I I think it was a good it- hire. I'm a little I'm a little surprised. Uh, they didn't go with Amir Abdurrahim. I thought he could be a name for that after what he's done at Kennesaw. But I, I think Stoudemire is a good hire. I would have really liked Amir from Kennesaw. That, that honestly would have been my choice, maybe in those shoes. But Tech is an interesting spot, right? Like it's a high-level school to get kids into, but it's a great location. Atlanta's awesome. Atlanta's a really cool place to be. Um, Georgia Tech's brand as an overall Lex department is kind of suffered, I think, a bit with the uh, not the same level of football success as, you know, in the way long back and in some glory days there. And I'm not, obviously football and basketball aren't going to be always intertwined like that. But I just 
think as a matter of like the way Georgia is really strong and obviously FBS football, you know, it, it's a bit of a you know, image thing, right? Like you among power fives in the state and among FBS schools in the state, yet yeah, there's a certain pecking order and tech is conscious of, way, of where, you know, it sits there and where and how it can keep clawing uh, to be with the dogs. So I think that I'm going to withhold a lot of judgment on this. I'm not, I, I don't have a ton of, um, you know, I don't, I don't feel strongly about it. I was, I was kind of keyed in on assuming that they were going to uh, go a little bit further along with the Kennesaw State candidate. So um, it's just, I mean, and that would have just been uh, very sensible within Georgia, but you have to think a little bit bigger than that. I think too, like it, there are some ones that aren't necessarily layups, right? Like you got to clearly Georgia tech, thought outside the walls of just of just uh you know one trendy mid-major in-state guy yes um Stoudemire was good at pacific um he's been with the celtics and uh, you can definitely sell recruits on that you've coached jason tatum and jalen brown so that's oh no doubt no doubt because those guys have gotten better within their nba careers too like mm-hmm. it's not like they were like, ready just either. even just like the past like 100%. two years when he's been there i mean not that right. he's fully responsible for their development but like the Celtics have been pretty good with that, so he can definitely sell them on that. I mean, he is a former NBA player. I mean, he he. I mean, he was a good NBA player, but um, probably not a good enough player. Where just like the name, uh, name of him playing in NBA will land you like huge recruits. But yeah, he, the Celtics definitely a huge selling point for him. And yeah, like he was good at Pacific, um, which Pacific is. They, I mean, they've fallen off since he's left for sure. Not, not that they were ever like really far up, but like he was leading them to top half WCC team. They're now at the basement, but yes, uh, I, I think I think he's a good hire. A little out of left field, almost. Like I didn't, uh, I don't know if I really saw this one coming, but I, I certainly don't have any problems with this hire. Um, obviously we we referenced before and. Replacing Rick Pitino at Iona is going to be Tobin Anderson. They did not hire him just because of his tournament success. He was a finalist for the job when they hired Pitino. He's been phenomenal in D2. Had a, I mean, his first season, I mean, obviously, you look at the tournament uh, win, which obviously is what everyone comes to think about when they talk about what he's done. But he also, like, I mean, this team wasn't amazing this year by any means if you just look at overall body of work. But they they were, like, one of the worst teams in the country. They had four wins last year, and he brought them to one of the best teams in NEC, which was terrible but and as a conference. But, like, he is he, – I mean, it, what stands out to me is, like, his game plan versus Purdue was amazing. Like, as an overall, like, fairly Dickinson defense was down there. It was one of the worst yep. in the country. But yep. he, he, his game plan, like, it it was phenomenal versus Purdue – which did not exactly work the same way against FAU because FAU was so, uh, they had so many guys that could do something. But, like, he's just a phenomenal coach. I hope this opens the door for more top-end D2 coaches and maybe even lower levels to get their names in at bigger Absolutely. schools. Absolutely. That's a great point there at the end of that is this maybe could make some D1 ADs a bit more open-minded about that candidate pool and guys who are coming from those levels of the college basketball world but Tobin Anderson it's the out coaching of Matt Painter recently sticks with you but it's also he has the buy-in and loyalty of the players right like those players followed him to FDU from his D2 stop you know not just because it was I, like those guys could have could have been D1 players elsewhere but they 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 they, st- they they trusted him to turn around what was a really bare 
barren cupboard at FDU initially, right? Those four wins all the previous season. So, yeah, when you're a coach who has that track record of sticking with it, you know, he's he had been wanting a Division one job and stood by it, but, you know, really was a guy who's biding his time. And Yeah, that, he, the, he really the, worked he, his he way had no up. Choice, but, yeah, he worked his way up. He did it. He did it the right way. You know, kind of seems to be our perception, and it it looks squeaky clean right now. I don't want. I don't mean to say it further there. Like, but everything just looks right. You know, and and, and the perception is now that now the time definitely is right. Yeah, and it's a bit sad for FDU because of course you'd love to keep him around and build on you know this notoriety that's now newfound after the sixteen over one game. But the, he, at Tobin Anderson has to strike while the iron is hot. Like he he has no other choice. I, I mean, to. he might he might have so, been going to Iona regardless. He, he could have. He could have because. At some point, there's no shame in losing to Purdue. Like, say they did lose to Purdue, you'd still won that first four game and still had a good resume, still a good turnaround, uh, executed at FDU. And Patino was going to believe, going to be heading out of Iona regardless. So, yeah, it's a situation where this just was made it now a no-brainer with the recent developments. Yes, and Iona is has always, I mean, recently been like the program in the MAC, and I don't think that'll change. Like, you can recruit a lot better players to Iona, and you can recruit then you can recruit to like Marist for example um iona they have a huge budget comparatively to the rest of the conference which will be huge i yeah i mean he's he's not rick patino but i, I don't see iona not winning but, the conference yeah, like in, right uh, iona doesn't need a, iona doesn't necessarily need a patino they don't necessarily need a patino to be plenty successful no i mean yeah I it's mean, not a discredit to anderson either like it's just a matter of the landscape in the mac like they're, they're gonna be just fine with what the, with the what they have in place i i would Probably, I don't know who's going to be on your team next year, but I think I'll predict him to win the conference because, I mean, that, that obviously will depend. But, like, right now, I, I, well, it looks like Dan's phone just died, so I, I was expecting that to happen. Uh, but I will continue the rest of this podcast by myself. But, yeah, I, I think Iona will win the conference. Um, Anderson will be good enough to get guys along with the prestige of Iona as a top max school. Another hire that is very interesting is Will Wade to McNeese. There was some speculation that he might be in the Ole Miss coaching search. They obviously went to Chris Beard. Wade went to McNeese. He's already got some recruits that are notable and like such as Mike Saunders, Zach Harvey, Got Javon Garcia, who uh, previously played at UMass. Um, so he's been building something there. Uh, it was definitely interesting that he was suspended like right after he was hired for like a few games, just so they could uh, try to just cancel it out as his uh, FBI stuff. But yeah, I think he will make them into a pretty good. Southland School in a conference that is not that good. There's definitely some room. There's definitely it's definitely manageable to win, and by the talent he's bringing in, and by how good of a coach he is, like he is a very good coach, regardless of the cheating stuff. Like he can actually coach. So I mean, I I don't envision him being at McNeese for a ton of time, but I think this will be an interesting uh experiment. And how this works, I will be interested to see, and I will also be interested to see the players he continues to bring into McNeese. I like in the first, like I don't know, it it was like the first day he got Harvey and Saunders. So, 
I'm interested to see how that works out. Chris Beard, Ole Miss. I don't know if we ever officially talked about that uh, on the podcast. We kind of inferred it. it was likely going to happen. Um, but yeah, I think that's a great hire. We've we've already kind of gone over um, the possibility of this happening. Jim Beheim. I don't know if we ever talked about him retiring because previously on podcast we had uh, kind of stated that he mentioned that he didn't want to retire, but. Uh, he did retire, and they promoted Adrian Autry, one of their assistants, to their head coaching job. I kind of think they should have uh, done a little bit of a search, but at the same time, like when you uh, replace a coach who's been there for like I don't know how long he's been there, like fifty years or something like that, then yeah, you can probably do whatever you want. Um. Yeah, um, I think Beheim's sign was definitely up, and it will be interesting to see how Syracuse does with kind of like a new face leading the program. Kind of gives them like a another like jolt of energy uh, under a new leader. Beheim had kind of fallen off with his success at the end of his career. We will see what happens with Autry leading the team and how much that changes. Paul Mills has gone to Wichita State. Um, that is a good hire, I believe. Uh, I guess we'll, we'll see if Ace Miss will follow him with his one-year eligibility. If he does that, that'll be huge. But either way, he's built a winner at Oral Roberts. Um, yeah, uh, he's been great there. He was in rumored to be the uh, Texas Tech, or he, w- he was in the Texas Tech search, and who Texas Tech will hire Grant McCasland, North Texas coach. All reports indicate that is not final as North Texas is still playing in NIT. Teams that will when they are done. I think they're in like, are they in the sem? Yeah, they're in the semifinals. They beat, I think they beat Oklahoma State. I, I haven't honestly been checking NIT scores. I just want to say I thought I heard they won. Um, And then Mike Bray, there was, there was some speculation that he might be headed to Southern or not South Florida, USF. He did not get offered a job. I believe he did meet with him. I honestly don't know. I think Bray should retire at this point. I don't know if he has any motivation really to do much. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. But USF would be the job for him. But I think USF could get like a young guy, like a Bob Ritchie type that could uh, be there for a while and actually like be bought into the program. Not that Bray wouldn't for sure, but yeah. Well, um, I believe we covered everything that we needed to on a podcast. Um, yeah, follow our social media, Hoopscoop Media, on Twitter and Instagram. Give this podcast a five star on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, really. Um, yeah, and. That is the podcast. We will hopefully see you next week uh, to talk about the Final Four. Next next week is the Final Four. That is crazy how fast time has gone. But we will be back next week. Hopefully, Dan will charge his phone by then. So we will see you later. And there are some great games this weekend, end of the week. What a great week in college basketball. Until next time, see ya.